Well, hey, Blackhawk, it's so great to be with you today. Um, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Michael, and I'm the college age and 20s, 30s pastor here at Blackhawk Church. And just really quick, I want to do a shout out to last night, women's volleyball for Wisconsin. Are you kidding me? National champions. Oh my goodness. That is awesome. Congratulations, volleyball team. It's been a great season, so we're pumped for that. Okay, so, hey, I want to welcome, I want to take some time to welcome everyone. Welcome everyone in the room right now. Everyone online, welcome. If you're listening to the podcast, glad you're listening. Everyone in Gospel Fusion, Traditions, Downtown, what's up? Fitchburg, glad that you're with us. Okay, and to the Chinese speakers, Dijon J, Mei Ping An, and to the Spanish speakers, Bienvenidos a Blackhawk. We are just so glad that you're here. I am excited for today. My coffee's kicked in and I might be moving a little bit, so I'll try to focus and pace. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so we have been journeying through the book of Acts for quite a while now, and this week is the last week. We're in the second part of Acts, and in this, uh, this part of Acts, we've been um, talking about how we can go to the ends of the earth. We've been looking at how different people have shared the message with Jesus in the book of Acts and how we can be influenced by how they have shared the message of Jesus. And I just want to hit the pause button really quick and just ask, like, how's that going? How has sharing the message of Jesus been going for you, whether it's just in general or the past five weeks? Because I want to be honest about that. Sharing the message of Jesus, especially with people that I don't really know, it's really challenging for me. It can feel really vulnerable. I can wonder if you know, people like me. Like, I want people to like me. Are they going to like me if I'm like, hey, do you know who Jesus is? And if you like share in any of that, I want to say join the club. And I'm a pastor, so there you go. Um, but the, the, honestly, the past five weeks have been really helpful for me. They've given me tools. I hope that it's been helpful for you as well. And hey, today we're finishing up Acts. And today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 17. So Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens. And Paul, honestly, never expected to be in Athens. It was not a part of his plan. You see, Paul, before um, he was in Athens, he was separated from his companions, Silas and Timothy. So Paul is now waiting in Athens to be reunited with them. Now let's talk about Athens. Athens was this just like centered this hub for, for just like political and, and higher thought. And, and Athens has influence, like back then it influenced a lot. And today we still can just feel the influence of Athens in a lot of different ways. One of which is theater. <laughs> I like theater. I did theater when I was younger in school. And theater has really, really deep roots in Athens. And because of that, because of those roots to just kind of help us all get in the mindset of Athens and really just to make the Bible come alive, we're going to do a something a little bit different. I've invited a friend of Blackhawk who is a Blackhawker. He's also an actor to actually come here and do a theatrical performance of our passage today, of Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. His name is Phil Evans, and I'm excited for Phil to be here. So would you all join me in welcoming Phil? Good morning. I'd like to invite you to worship this morning with me around God's word by doing three things. 
First, if you have your Bible open or your Bible app, close it. Thank you. <laughs> Second, I'd like you to open your ears and your eyes to a telling of God's word. And third, I'd like you to join in. I'd like you to respond when I'm done. I will say the word of the Lord, and you respond by saying, thanks be to God. And this is for everyone in the room, all sites, all venues, and those of you who are streaming this at home. I'll say the word of the Lord. You respond, thanks be to God. Great. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, then they took him and, and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they might seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think of the divine being as like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, 
Some of them sneered, but others said, we would like to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, will you join me in thanking Phil? <laughs> wow, that was... That was awesome. So now we just, we're in Athens right now, everyone. That was cool. Okay, that was honestly probably the best narrative acting on that passage I've ever seen. Also, it's the only one, but it was really, really, really good. And honestly, it's such an interesting passage, right? There's a lot of interesting things going on here. So now I want to say something to everyone listening right now, whether you're Christian or you're not a Christian, about what Paul's saying. And it's, it's actually really important, so, so listen up. Paul does not do a good job <laughs> talking about who Jesus is, explaining the gospel. He just, he just doesn't. I mean, Phil did a good job narrative acting. Paul explaining Jesus, uh, I don't know if he, did, he didn't do that good of a job. I mean, the gospel has been presented in the Bible in far better ways than that. Paul himself, he has actually done a far better job talking about who Jesus is. I mean, people, he didn't even talk about the cross. I mean, you have to talk about the cross. So what on earth is Paul doing here? And what is he saying? And what are we supposed to get from this? What are we supposed to learn? One word. Posture. It's all about our posture. And Paul actually does a masterclass at this. Because Paul switched his posture to meet the people of Athens where they were at so that he can share the message of Jesus with them in a way that they could understand. You see, Paul doesn't go over their heads. Paul doesn't move away from them. Paul moves right towards them. And because of that and how important that is, I want to focus on that for our time today about how our posture can be influenced by Paul's posture when it comes to how we share the message of Jesus with people around us. That's what we're gonna focus on today. And to kind of help with that, I wanna actually go back to the beginning of our passage in Acts chapter uh, 17, verses 16 through 18, because looking at the context, I think will be super helpful for us. Okay, so while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. All right, it starts with saying that Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So what does Paul do? He's greatly distressed. He sees idols everywhere. What does Paul do? I mean, what would you do? What would you do if you're with people who don't follow Jesus, around things that don't point to Jesus, which that's pretty much all of us a lot of the times, maybe not right now, but that's kind of our interactions. What do we do? Like, what do we do? I mean, because there's, there's actually a few temptations out there. The first temptation is to just like completely object. And in this temptation, followers of Jesus, they have this expectation 
that everyone that they come in contact with, whether it's like friends, neighbor, family, coworkers, classmates, people in your city, no matter who it is, followers of Jesus in this temptation kind of feel that everyone they talk to should follow the exact same biblical principles that they do, even if people don't really buy into the Bible. And the moment that people don't, man, nope, we're done. They distance they separate themselves, leaving them with only the people that act like them, talk like them, think like them. Those are the people that they're hanging out with. So that's one temptation. Another temptation is to embrace. And this temptation is kind of the exact opposite of objecting. You see, in, in embracing followers of Jesus in this temptation, they have these biblical principles. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus is, is asking us to live, how he's asking us to live. But then cultural principles come right in, right? And then there's this clash, you see. The Bible is saying this, culture is saying this. And in this temptation, the biblical principles slowly stop being followed, leaving the cultural principles to be the winner. You see, cultures fully embraced. And people in this temptation, the people they're around with, are people who talk, act, and think exactly like them. Embrace, object. What's interesting is that even though a lot of us might kind of lean more towards one of these or the other, Paul doesn't lean towards either of those. You see, Paul chooses a different way. Paul chooses a different route, and it's somewhere that's kind of in the middle. You see, Paul moves towards people. He has conversations with them, like our text says, in the marketplace. That would be like you going to like a grocery store, pick and save, or Trader Joe's, and just talking about Jesus with people, or having a conversation about Jesus at a local coffee shop, or like a school school cafeteria or a workplace lounge, you know, talking about Jesus. And, and Paul does this, but he does this while not only holding on to his convictions, but sharing them in a way where people will understand because he's done the work for them to be able to. This, this is the biblical way. And it's challenging because it's holding on to our convictions while still meeting people where they're at. It's challenging. Let's keep going with the text. Let's go back. Okay. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. All right, so the next uh, slide. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where he said to them, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Okay. So there's a, a couple different groups of people, words here that may or may not be familiar that I want to talk about really quick. So um, the Epicurean, I also just love circling this thing. It's so fun. Okay, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. 
So the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, these were basically people, group of philosophers who uh, had different ideas, different beliefs, and they would often talk about these different ideas and beliefs with each other and talk about different ideas with different people. So that's the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And then Paul comes in and has a conversation with them. And so quickly they take Paul and bring him to the Areopagus, which not only is that just a fun thing to say, Areopagus, I, I, just, I, I like to say Areopagus, it rolls off your tongue, but it's actually like this, this um, high judicial council where um, they just kind of like decide who can say, say what. And so they bring Paul to the Areopagus and then Paul begins to, to share the message of Jesus with everyone in a way that they would understand. You see, what Paul does at the Areopagus was he starts with where they were at. Not with where Paul was at, with what they're at. That was Paul's posture to begin with them. All right. And while Paul does that, his posture, he gets to know them. You see, when Paul was there, he was a studier. He got to know who they are and what they're about, which is the first point that I want to talk about today when it comes to our posture and how we can share the message of Jesus. To start with knowing who you're talking to. All right, so I, for those of you who don't know me, I am originally from uh, the West Coast. I was born a little north of Seattle, went to grad school at Fuller Seminary in Southern California. I worked at a church uh, in the Silicon Valley for a handful of years. And then a little over three years ago, I moved to the Midwest. And let me tell you, when I moved to the Midwest, I quickly learned that in order to become a Midwesterner, I had to learn what being a Midwesterner was all about, okay? If you've ever moved to the Midwest from somewhere else, you might know what I'm talking about. And I've learned a lot of things, and I want to share some of these things with you. Okay, the first thing, people, the cheese curd. Are you kidding me? I don't think, I'm serious, I don't think I've ever tasted a cheese curd before I moved here, and I want to shout it from the rooftops. I'm a big fan of the cheese curd. And another thing that I've learned that... You have to have good warm clothes when it's winter or else you'll die. <laughs> you laugh, you laugh, but that's a serious thing. Okay, here's the other thing, last thing that I've learned that I wanna share. So I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Some of you might be, some of you might not be, but there's this thing called the Midwestern goodbye. Okay, you might not know. I observed what the Midwestern goodbye is when I came here. Okay, so on the West, West Coast, when you're talking with a group of people and then it's about time to leave, this is what happens. You say, goodbye, and then you leave. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, so in the Midwest, I don't know if you know about this, but you, when you're with a group of people, you say goodbye, and then you stay and talk for about 30 minutes. <laughs> and if you're like me, you're going to the door, and you're like, oh, the conversation's not done, and you're standing in the doorway for about 30 minutes, and then you get to leave, which people, that's super confusing. <laughs> I've messed up a lot with this. I'm still learning, but there you go. So, so when I moved to the Midwest, I learned that there's a lot that I need to continue to learn. And honestly, I love the Midwest. I love being here and I love learning more about what it looks like to become a Midwesterner, even if things are a bit different. 
Because different cultures do things differently. Different people do things differently. And Paul knew that, which is exactly why his message to the people of Athens was very, very different than any time he ever shared um, in the book of Acts or in the New Testament. It's very different. Let's keep reading to see how this plays out. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Okay, let's stop right there. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Okay, what's interesting about this part is that Paul doesn't rebuke them, okay? Paul compliments them, which is a little sub point that I wanna make when you're sharing the message of Jesus with people, don't be a jerk. <laughs> it's, it's okay to start with a compliment, but, but really, Paul's distressed. Paul goes there and he sees idols everywhere. And he is just like, what is going on with this place, with Athens? And he starts with complimenting them. You see, Paul thinks, okay, there's idols here. I want them to hear the message of Jesus. I want to say, okay, you're religious. You're very religious. Paul starts by complimenting them. And then Paul goes on. Instead of using scripture to, to people who don't buy into scripture, instead of talking about how Jesus fulfilled Jewish prophecy like he probably would have and he typically did to a Jewish audience, Paul gets to learn. He makes the decision to learn about what's important to them. Let's read on. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Okay, this is mid-sentence, but we're going to stop right here. I picture Paul in front of the Areopagus and, and even before that, just looking at these idols. I mean, picture Paul. He doesn't move away from the idols. He moves towards them. He studies them. These idols are blasphemous, remember that. These idols are blasphemous against Jesus, against Yahweh, but Paul is deciding to become a student of them. He's reading the inscriptions, and I bet that Paul was uncomfortable. I bet you he was uncomfortable. But here's the thing. Paul made the decision to be uncomfortable so that they didn't have to when it came to hearing the message of Jesus for the first time. Now I wanna ask you, have you done that before? Have you ever made the decision to become, uh, become uncomfortable so that people around you could hear the message of Jesus for the first time? And if you haven't, what would that look like? Paul goes on. While Paul is studying these idols, he finds something. And he uses that to point to Jesus. The text continues. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Let's stop there. Paul finds this altar scripture to the unknown God. And then he starts to tell the people of Athens at the Areopagus who the unknown God is. Jesus which leads to the next point that I want to make when it comes to our posture and sharing the message of Jesus with those around us. It's to answer the questions that people are asking, not the ones that they're not. This, this altar was asking a question, who is this unknown God? And Paul answers, it's Jesus. 
What are the questions that your city's asking? Or another way to put it is, what's important to your city? What's important to the people around you, whether you're in Dane County, somewhere in Wisconsin, somewhere in this nation, somewhere in the world, what are the questions that your city's asking and what would it look like to answer them in a way that points to Jesus? Okay, so I live in Madison. I live just a really honestly short drive from the uh, UW-Madison campus. And my buddy and I, we, when the weather allows it, it might be a little too cold for this West Coast guy right now, but we, we go on runs and we have different routes all throughout Madison and we even have different routes that we run on the campus. And when we go running, we honestly can't help but see that Madison and the campus are asking all sorts of questions. For example, sometimes we run up Bascom Hill. So here's a picture of Bascom Hill. I don't know if you've been here or not. It kind of looks flat. Do not be deceived, people. It's basically like this. And this is Bascom Hall. And whenever we run up it, first we're like halfway through or more like 10 steps through. We're like, is there something seriously wrong with us? Why are we doing this? Because I like can't breathe when I walk up this thing. But we run up this hill and sometimes there's a, uh, we see this, we see different halls. There's this one hall called South Hall. And on South Hall, there's this sign that I've noticed and I've went to it and read it and it, and it says this, here's the sign. Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This is from the Bible. This is something literally Jesus said in John chapter eight, verses 32. Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This is from the class of 1955. Now, I can imagine that South Hall is probably saying there's different truths out there in higher education that can learn that can set you free in different ways. Now, what would happen if Paul were alive today? I imagine if he were, and he's walking up Bascom Hill. Dude's not running, he's walking, because most people just walk. And he's with a group of Madisonians. He gets to South Hall, he sees the sign, he leans forward and he reads the sign. And then I can just imagine Paul affirming Madison's culture of higher education, affirming like, yeah, different truths in higher education, they can set you free in different ways, that's great. But I also can imagine Paul making this shift, right? This shift and then pointing to Jesus, which is low-hanging fruit because it's literally something Jesus said. But I can see Paul making this shift and saying how ultimate truth can only ultimately be found in Jesus. And in that, Jesus is the only one that can ultimately set you free. I can see Paul making this shift because he made this shift in the passage. See, he doesn't just stay in the getting to know the Athenians phase. No, he switches to pointing to Jesus, to answering, which is the last point that I want to make today, to shift, to sharing, to Jesus. And Paul does this all the time, all throughout this, this text, all throughout the New Testament, all throughout this passage. In fact, after he shifted to sharing who the unknown God is, he then shifts to point to Jesus again. After that, he said this, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring." Now, this was from two secular poets, these two poems. And these two secular poets were well-known back then by 
pretty much all of Greek society and culture, but does that mean that Paul fully buys into everything that they're saying? No, probably not. But Paul is always on the lookout to see something that's familiar and then to use that to shift to pointing to Jesus. Paul's all about that. Paul's always doing this. That's always on his mind. Which leads to the question, why? <laughs> why, Paul? I'm not like that. Why are you like that? Paul, why are you always on the lookout for something to, to then use it to shift to Jesus? Like why on earth? You were just passing through Athens. You weren't even supposed to be there, but you're studying this group of people and using what you're learning to point to Jesus even when you're uncomfortable. Paul, what's up, man? I've been in a layover in the airport. I'm not doing that. Why? Because one word, love. Love. You see, Paul loved the people of Athens, but more importantly, he knew that God loved them and he wanted them to know that. That's the reason behind all of this. That is Paul's posture. So Paul made the decision to enter into their circumstances so that they can know just that. I remember a time uh, when I was a lot younger. I was in my house. It was high school. I was with my brother. Uh, we were downstairs. We were listening to music. And we were in this phase that was just really, really rebellious. Um, for a long time, and especially during that time when we were listening to music, we wanted nothing to do with Jesus. We wanted nothing to do with the church. All the while, my grandmother, who was in her 80s, was upstairs, and grandma, she just wanted nothing more than for us to know Jesus, for us to go to church. So we were listening to music. One of the songs, and my brother switched it to like a not-so-wholesome heavy metal band song, and he just like cranked the volume up. It was so loud, I could barely think, and we were just listening to this music, and then all of a sudden, footsteps going down the stairs. It was grandma. <laughs> and I thought, uh-oh. Grandma's going to get mad at us. Grandma's going to like tell us how disappointed she is with us, how we've been making the wrong decisions, plead with us to know Jesus, to go to church. She's definitely going to tell us to switch the music. You see, my grandmother grew up singing in church choirs, listening to music that she or other people would say are a little more wholesome than the definitely not wholesome music that we were playing. And we were just like on edge, but still listening. The door opened. My grandmother walked through. She went towards us. Each step, she's like fighting the beat of the music because it was so loud. I'm like, oh my goodness, grandma, sorry. <clears throat> and then she did the thing that I least expected her to. She didn't get mad at us. She danced. <laughs> and her own little grandmother danced. <laughs> Our eyes got wide and our mouths dropped. We were like, what is going on? And in the middle of this loud, heavy metal music, my grandma is just dancing and dancing. She went over to my brother and like forced made him to twirl her, you know, and she's twirling and she's dancing. And I'm like, this is so weird. This is so unexpected. This is so beautiful. 
You see, when my grandmother heard the type of music that we were listening to, instead of getting mad at us, instead of trying to change us, instead of making us change the music, no, she came down and loved us exactly where we were at. She danced. And to this day, I don't think I've ever seen the love of Jesus been shared with me in a more compelling way. She didn't try to reject us, which is one temptation, object. She didn't become a heavy metal band enthusiast. <laughs> she chose somewhere in the middle. Like Paul, she chose the biblical way. She loved us exactly where we are at, and I know that this might seem small, but honestly, that moment not only fundamentally shifted my view of who Jesus is, but that moment started me down a path to someday being open to the message of Jesus. And just like Paul and his listeners in Athens, I didn't buy in right there. It would take a lot of people. It would take a lot of different conversations. It would take a lot of time, but it all started with a dance. Now here's my question to you. Who are you gonna dance with? Athens, in Athens, God was unknown yet in front of everyone. What would it look like to be like Paul and show everyone who that unknown God is and it can start with a dance? By going down the stairs and meeting people exactly where they're at, which is exactly what Jesus did for us. Christmas is just a few days away, and on Christmas we celebrate when Jesus went down the stairs of heaven and entered our circumstances. He loved us exactly where we were at. We were sinning. We didn't want anything to anything about God. We didn't want to know God, a lot of people, but still God went down the stairs. He met us. He loved us. He got to know us on a personal level so that we can know him on one, two. So during this Christmas time, with wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, my invitation for you is to enter into someone else's circumstances, to love someone exactly where they're at, to put on your shoes, to go down the stairs, and to dance with the people around you. Let's pray. So Jesus, I pray that we can do that. Christmas is a time where there's just a lot of moving parts. It can feel like chaos. It can feel like joy. But I know in Christmas, it's an opportunity where we just will come into contact with people, whether it's shopping or going out or people in our family that either are following Jesus or not. God, and I pray that we can use every opportunity to model what Paul does in Acts chapter 17 when he is with people in Athens who don't follow you, who don't even know about you. God, I pray that you can show us what it looks like to dance, to be with, to enter into someone else's circumstances and to love them exactly where they're at because that's exactly what you did with us, Jesus. We thank you for all that Christmas is, and I pray that we can use every situation and point to you. 
in your name. Amen.